But Daniel chapter number 3, and while you're turning there, uh, I want to try to lay the background to bring us back to where we need to be. We had last Sunday not in the book of Daniel, so I don't want you to forget the things that had happened before. But I wanted to share an article with you that I read. It's from 2008, and uh, it's from a man who lived in New Zealand. His name was Ivan Segden, and uh, this guy was um, notorious for not wearing a seatbelt, and he, he had 32 tickets for not wearing a seatbelt. Now, I'm not going to ask you in here uh, how many of you wear your seatbelt or not. By now, you've kind of, uh, it's kind of settled in on you. I can remember back when they passed it as being a law. People were mad and frustrated and upset. I ain't being told to wear my seatbelt, much like a mask today. And uh, everybody wears their seatbelts because they see that it actually maybe can keep you in the vehicle if you have an accident. But this guy, anyway, Ivan, he was ticketed 32 times. He had all this stuff. They had to pay uh, for not wearing a seatbelt, and so he decided that he was going to handle this problem his own way, and so he took an extra seatbelt out of a vehicle, cut it off, sewed it onto the seatbelt that was there behind him, and just threw it over his shoulder everywhere it went, and so it just kind of hung around right there to where he was fooling everybody, and so uh, the police never pulled him over again. He didn't have a ticket for the seatbelt or anything at all until in 2008 he had a head-on collision. And he went through the windshield and he died. And the coroner said that he had a seatbelt all through the car, but it wasn't fastened, that he had, had sewn something up there as a fake seatbelt and had that evidently strapped around him to try to fool everyone else. And to say that is to say this, that sometimes you think that professing something is an actual possession of something, and it's not. No matter what, you could stand in your garage all day long and say that you're a car, but you'll never be a Lamborghini. You could stand outside and say you're the best baseball player ever until you swing a bat or you throw a pitch. You could actually stand and tell everyone in here how good-looking and how pretty you are until we show you a mirror. Right? And all these things, we can say something. And I could give you a T-shirt today that says North Highland across the front, and I'm a Christian across the back, but... Just because you say it, it doesn't mean that you are. The Bible even says that Jeremiah said that people praised them with the lips and their heart was away. Jesus even quoted that in the New Testament, Brother David, and said that their lips, they praised me, but their heart is far from me. They lived a Pharisee. They lived only by just appearances. They looked good on the outside, that Jesus said. They were like graves that were whitewashed, but inside they were still dead man's bones in there. And so we're picking back up from Daniel chapter number 2. In the Septuagint, Bible or translation of the Bible. You say, what is that? Well, it's where the Samaritans translated the Old Testament. Uh, some of our translation of the Old Testament today is brought out of the Septuagint. They actually say that Daniel chapter 2 to Daniel chapter 3, that it was in the 18th year of King Nebuchadnezzar. The other day I got a phone call and somebody said, I just want you to know that when I was praying the other day, I told God about King Nebi. And so you've got me calling ne- King Nebi uh, to God calling him Nebi instead of Nebuchadnezzar. And I was like, hey, that's all right. God knows it's fine. But, uh, and just telling me crazy pastor said it, so the Lord knows me too. But looking at it, they say there's about an 18 to 20-year span from that. And some of you go, how can we go from chapter number 2 in the last verse to chapter 3 in the first verse and there be such a time span in that? There are verses that actually lead us nearly 400 years from one verse to the next. And so we've got to understand the time frame. And even in the Word of God, it says this statement, Brother Seth, a lot it says, and it came to pass, or in the process of time and it came to pass and so we know that time goes on but in chapter number two we left off two weeks ago with King Nebuchadnezzar saying these words right here there is no God like the God of Daniel that he said that there's no other God like him that no other God is above the God than the God of Daniel and Daniel was promoted in the kingdom Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they were promoted in the kingdom you know they were all just glorified and they were they were kind of put into uh, positions of power and now we know that Daniel did all that or, or God did it through Daniel by doing what by letting him translate a dream or interpret a dream and it wasn't enough that the dream was interpreted the Bible says that he even had to tell Nebuchadnezzar or Nebi what the dream was before he even interpreted it it's one thing to to have somebody dream and come and tell you you know last night I dreamed about uh, quarter pounders from McDonald's and french fries what do you think that means well it could mean one of two things 
First of all, it could mean that you're hungry and you want to eat some of that. Second of all, it can mean that you eat too much and you're having dreams about quarter pounders and fries. You know? So it's one thing to interpret a dream for somebody, but it's quite another to actually tell them what the dream was and then interpret it. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar was shocked and he was like, hey, there's no God like the God of Daniel. And he said that with his mouth. But here's the first thing that I want to ask you is profession of something a possession of something. We're going to preach today about going through the fire and having faith of God through the fire. That he's going to be there with us. And if you remember, last two weeks ago, Nebuchadnezzar remembered his dream, but he didn't remember it clearly. He couldn't remember what it was, and he wanted Daniel to tell him what the dream was. And so many times we do that. If, if we're honest in here, many of us that are in the mid-flight of stairs we're sometimes trying to figure out, was I going up the stairs or was I coming down the stairs? We all do that. Many people say that old age brings that on, and I don't really think that it's old age. I think that it's too many irons in the fire. You've got too much going on, and you can't remember everything, okay? So y'all, older people should like me for saying something like that today. Now, maybe the only thing you like for the rest of the service, but you should like that part. So looking at the faith that they had in the fire, first thing I want you to see, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter number 2, he made a profession that God is the God of all gods, but is profession or professing something, is it actual possession? It can't be. Professing something is not possession itself. That, that's like when, we, when, when me and my dad growing up, and even now, if we borrow tools from one another, I don't think we ever borrow tools. We just have them. We, we actually do it like this. There is no phone call, hey, do you have this? Can I borrow it? It is, hey, did you get this? I need it back. It's always been that way between he and I. And uh, it's one of those things where he always tells me, well, I've had it for nine months, so possession is nine-tenths of the law. It's now mine right? So that's why I still try to do that with his stuff. And then he got smart when he was younger, and he took an engraver, and he engraved his initials on every tool so that we know that, that evidently name carving on something is ten-tenths of the law. And, uh, but Nebuchadnezzar professed that God was God, but if God was God, then Nebuchadnezzar's actions and his works would go along with his profession, you can't say that you're a car because you're in a garage. You'll never be that. And you can't say that you are a Christian just because your mama or your daddy or your children are a Christian. It doesn't happen that way. It's only one way, and it is John chapter 14, verse 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one can come to the Father except by him. So if Nebuchadnezzar truly possessed what he was professing, then he would have had a change. And we would read in chapter 3, verse 1, something different. But look at what we see in verse number one. The Bible says this, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits, 90 feet high, and the breadth six score, or excuse me, thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather, look at these words, the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, and the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. It's going to be a little repetitive, but there is a purpose in it, okay? Look at this next verse. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud. You say, what is a herald? Uh, hark the herald angels sing, right? Uh, what is a herald? A herald would be like me, a person with a loud voice. Okay, and other people in here, but I'll just keep my own self. A person who publicly cries out, even the word preacher means public crier, person that heralds out the gospel. It says, a herald came together, it says, then he commanded these things. Look at these words. To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music. You fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, it says all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. 
Nebuchadnezzar professed in chapter 2 that Daniel's God is the God of all gods. But just in his profession, he never declared that Daniel's God is my God. He never declared like David that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I don't want another. He never declared that that God is the only God. He said he is the God of all gods. He is the Elohim or El of all Elohim. And what that means is, is that there's, just, there's this kind of idea that goes around that many people think, uh, let me share this with you. This is a word called polytheism. Polytheism, you say, what is that? Polytheism means poly meaning many, and theism meaning deities or gods, okay? And in, in the Old Testament, there's many people that think that Abraham came from serving polytheism, multiple gods and false idols, and then he came to this idea that we really only need one God. It's like they, they get this idea, Brother Brandon, that, that Abraham got together and said, you know, we need to kind of narrow the field down a little bit, and we only need to worship one God. When the actual scriptures say this, Yes, Brother Jerome, it says that when Abraham was in his father's house, the one true God called him out of his father's house and revealed unto him that there are no other gods because they are false. There's no gods of wood. There's no gods of silver and gold and all of these things. They can't answer you. They don't speak to you. They do nothing for you. He's saying, I am the living God. I am the creator God. And God revealed himself as the one true God. And you know what Abraham did? He said, you're right, Lord. And he got out of his father's house and he Worship the one true and only God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about it. We'll study it later. Talks about the hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, and it's one God. <clears throat> but in all other religions, there is this polytheism kind of worship of gods. If you were to go to the modern Hindu or Buddhist today and you were to preach to them about Jesus Christ, you can't just preach to them only about the cross, the sacrifice, the resurrection, and that. You have to share that with them, but you must convince them and show them through the scriptures that he is God's son and that God the Father, there is no other God above God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because if you don't convince them and show them through truth and compel them to believe that, then they will go, we love Jesus, we take him and we put him on our shelf of gods and put him on our shelf of trophy gods because this God helped us in this time and this God helped us in fertility and this God will help us in curing and sickness and all of this stuff. And they just add them to their multiple list of gods. <clears throat> That's why it's so important that when you share the gospel with people that they know that there is one God and that he has a beloved son in whom he was well pleased and he gave him as a sacrifice for our sins and he didn't take your life but he gave his own son and that the Holy Spirit now resides in us. It's God all in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father being the wonderful what? Mind, God the Son being the body, God the, the Spirit being the, the spirit or the soul that he takes all of that as we are created. And so people go, well, I, I don't know. Even in other religions, such as Islam, they have no problem with Isa. They call Jesus Isa, I-S-A. They have no problem with Isa. They love Isa, and they believe that he was a great prophet and that this prophet was a good man, but they do not believe that he's the Son of God. They reject him as the crucifixion and as the sacrifice for sins. And as the Bible said about Isaac and Ishmael, it told us that to reject the Son is to reject the Father. And so to reject God's only son, Jesus Christ, is to reject God the Father in himself. That's why John 14, verse 6 makes sense, that he is the only way, he is the only truth, and he is the only truth and way and uh, life of salvation to any of us. Not only in that, but you look at it, and you see that in polytheism, that multiple gods, that you can kind of bring in everybody, that I'll, I'll call this one up when I need them, I'll call this one up when I need them. And a bad thing is, is that in even some sects of Christianity, they still do those things. There are people today that pray to Mary. There's people that pray to St. James. There's some that pray to St. Timothy. Let me share with you what you pray to St. Timothy in certain prayer books of people that talk about their Christianity today is that if you have stomach problems, you have irritable bowel syndrome, you have any issues with stomach and upset stomach or anything like that, you pray to St. James because St. James had an issue with stomach and Paul told him to drink a little wine for the stomach's sake because he had an upset stomach. 
We don't pray to them. We pray in the very name of Jesus Christ for every single thing. Whatsoever you ask in my name, it shall be given unto you. There are many people in the world who do this same thing. They're polytheists. They go and they profess multiple, multiple gods. So Nebuchadnezzar had no problem with saying Daniel's God is a God of all gods. Why? Because remember back in those days, there were the, the king of the hill, the, the, the empires that were rising up. You had, you had uh, Pharaoh Necho of the Egyptians. You had the Assyrians, which were the Ninevites, the great archers. You had the uh, Babylonians that was led by King Nebi himself and coming in and destroying like a wild beast. You know, you're about to have the Medes or the Medo-Persian era, which is the Medes and the Persians. You're going to have Greece come in, and who remembers in history class, Alexander the Great coming in like a leper and coming in so fast, you know. And, and then you're going to have the Roman Empire. Remember, they're trying to be king of the hill, and they're trying to be the best and all of that. And you know what they did? they took whatever gods would help them. If they won a battle and somebody said, look, it's because I, it's like, they, like a Barney Fife, it's because the reason I shot so good today is because I had a rabbit foot in my pocket. They'll take that rabbit foot and put it on their wall of gods and they'll worship that because that helped them in that battle. That's not what we need. That's not what Daniel had, and that's not what uh, Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael had, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had one God, and so can somebody profess Jesus as Lord and still worship other gods? No. Do we? There are people even today in here with all of us, every one of us. There are gods and false gods, little, b, little bitty G-O-D-S, that get in the way all the time. There are some gods that are spelt J-O-B-S. There are some gods that are even spelt family. There are some gods that are spelt in other things, it's, uh, and it's pleasure. See, anything that you would put above God, then you tell God that I love this more than I love you. And we shouldn't do that, and it will become a god. What did Nebuchadnezzar worship the most? If we look at it, did he worship Daniel's god? No, because he took the dream that he had and he turned it into pride, and he built a whole big statue about himself. That was pride, right? So what did he worship the most? Himself. Nebuchadnezzar, for about 20 years there, he thought in himself, boy, that was a great dream, and it made him look at God or Daniel's God, and then all of a sudden, for 20 years now, all he's thought about is himself. I'm the head of gold. I'm the head of gold. I'm the head of gold. And I'm going to be worshipped. And so what was he doing? Stay with me. He was politically trying to call all people together in unity. He was doing it in the name of unity, and he was doing it governmentally and politically. He had all of what? The princes, the counselors, the sheriffs, everybody in all of the government. He had them gathered together, and he had a person to declare in front of all of them, a herald, that when you hear the music, you bow down and worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And he said, we all need to be together in unity because a unified nation is better than anything else. And he was politically trying to do this, and when it was all all done. Listen, when we place government policies above God Almighty himself, we are going down a slippery and dangerous road. <clears throat> I can remember years ago when people <clears throat> argued about seatbelts. I can remember just months ago people arguing, and even now, about masks. I can remember back in 2015, uh, September the 27th, 2015, when the Democratic Committee uh, was doing a fundraiser. They had a fundraiser that was going on. And I know that you won't want to speak politics with me, and some of you may not even know what politics means. But if you'll take that word and break it down like we did a while ago with polytheism, poly means multiple, tick means blood-sucking creature. Okay? Now you understand what politics is, Okay? Uh, and you can tell everybody that I shared it with you. But I remember our president of the United States standing up because this was a fundraiser for what then at that time was called the LGBT committee, but now it's called the LGBTQ plus committee, and we understand that this is trying to push same-sex marriages. Many people say government should stay out of it, and you church should shut up about it and all that stuff, but our president got up and spoke, and these are the words that he said. We affirm and we cherish our religious freedoms and are profoundly respectful of religious traditions. And you hear that and you go, Wow, we're fixing to get into something really good, but this is what was followed. But we also have to say that our religious freedom does not grant us freedom to deny our fellow Americans their constitutional rights. So is the President of the United States saying that the final analysis is that government should trump or triumph over God? Is that what we say? 
And I know that there's so many people in here that disagree and we argue about these issues and stuff, but is that what we're saying is that, okay, we know God's Word said this, but socially we will not be accepted. <clears throat> Governmentally we will not be accepted. I'm here to tell you today that there's going to, time, there's going to be a time in your life when your faith is going to be put in the fire. People say it's about a mask. People say it's about this. It's not about that. It's about faith. And we want to argue over small things that do not matter. And then the things that really matter, Brother David, we let them go. And you say, what are you trying to get at, Brother Steve? We're trying to do the same things the Pharisees did. And Jesus looked at them and said, you will strain a gnat out, but you will swallow a camel. He said, you'll strain a gnat out of your sweet tea, but you're going to swallow a cockroach. You know what I mean? You look at that, you go, no, I wouldn't do that. I'm getting a new cup. And so many people, listen, if we're going to get to the meat of this today, you need to understand that this is not the Bible school story about the three Hebrew boys in the fire and all this stuff. This was a faith, number one, that was tested. Your faith will be tested. It will be tried through the fire. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 8, Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. You see those words? Accused. You know what the word accuser means? It is the same word for Satan and the devil. The word devil means slanderer. The word Satan means accuser of the brethren. He's an accuser. The Bible says these Chaldeans, so what are the Chaldeans? These are the Babylonian intelligent spiritual soul patrol. They're the ones that were looking around. When everybody was supposed to be worshiping, they were looking around making sure others were going to be worshiping and bowing down. It says they came and they accused. You need to underline that. They accused these Jews. Then spake the, they, excuse me, they spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king... Y'all are not having fun. I'm having a good time. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Don't forget what you said, king. You made this decree, and you can't break your word. And so they said this next. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Look at those words. There are certain Jews, they were already frustrated. And I wonder, Sister Darlene, where their frustration and jealousy came from. Did it come from chapter 1 whenever Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and the word of God said, we found them to be better than any of the other boys or young men of our own kingdom. Their appearance looked better. Their knowledge was more. They understood more. Did it come then? Or did it come in chapter number 2 whenever Daniel interpreted the dream that many of them could not interpret or many of their friends because those other ones, the astrologers and the others that couldn't interpret it, they were killed, you remember, cut in pieces and their house burned up into ashes and thrown on the dung pile. Right? <clears throat> Look, if we've got a pole barn, I can say dung pile. <laughs> it throwed it out on the dung heap. And the Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel and promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that time? But at some time or another, these men that were supposed to be the intelligent people of Babylon, they got angry and jealous. Now, I know none of y'all ever get angry and jealous, but look at what it says. He says, there's certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. There's certain Jews that you've put in charge and took our jobs, our positions. This Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men do not regard you. They don't even worship your gods, and they don't worship the image that you set up. And let me tell you something. Words are influential. The Bible says that from the tongue, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And you can tear down people in a moment. Moms and dads, there's words that you can say to your children and you're literally strangling the self-esteem out of them. You are strangling the life out of them. There are things, parents, people, everybody, any kids that are in here that you could say to others that literally hurt and inflict them. 
The Bible says that when Jesus was on the cross, that the people came by and they wagged their heads. And when they came by and wagged their heads, the Scripture tells us that they literally hurled insults at him as though they were rocks in wanting to cause affliction upon him. Notice that these people are feeding Nebuchadnezzar. They're like in his ear going, you remember what you said? You remember what you said? These people don't do it. You set them in power, and they're supposed to be leaders. They're not acting like leaders, and look at what they're doing. Yeah, 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 And they're going on and on. And then look at the next verses. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake unto them, said, or, spake and said unto them, "Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, if you fall down and worship the image which I have made, look what he says: It'll be well." Nebuchadnezzar seems like he's given a second chance. An opportunity. He said, it'd be fine if you do that. And he, he, it says in that scripture, he's full of rage and fury. But he says, if you'll do the right thing, then that's fine. But look at this. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Who is this guy? Daniel chapter 2, 20 years ago, he said, there's no God like the God of Daniel. And the God of Daniel is the same God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The same absolute God. Nebuchadnezzar had lost his mind. Because of why? Because of what? Pride. I don't need your God. There are some people that have gone to church their whole life. They were little. They understood the wonderful gospel of Jesus. They understood in Bible school. They stood on the steps, and they stood up there by the altar, and they sang, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but yes, he's strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. They stood up there and said, for God shall love the world, that he gave his only begotten son. And 20 years have passed, and now what's happened? Because of this, a profession without a possession is nothing. But a possession causes true profession. Your faith will be tested. Here they are. What are they going to do? If you'll do this, then I'll stop. And you know what this reminds me of? Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't, then we're going to burn you right here in front of everybody. You know what he's saying? We're just going to get rid of you. We'll just destroy you right here. You know what they said about Jesus? You know what the chief priests and the Pharisees said about Jesus? They desired to destroy him. So they did what? They went out in the middle of the night and they brought people in to say false accusations against him. And Lee, they tried to break up all these, bring up all these lies and stuff in order to do what? To stir the crowd up. If you stir the crowd up and you get the crowd on board, let them all say crucify. It doesn't matter if Pilate says, I find no fault in him at all. Brother David, if they keep saying crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, get the crowd on board and we'll get rid of this man. You say, Brother Steve, that doesn't... This seems fair. It, it sounds familiar, though. We have a thing that's happening in our society or actually in our culture today. We even have a name for it. There's a definition for it. It's called cancel culture. Years ago, a man made a comment when the first cancel culture came out and he made a comment about some girls' basketball players and immediately people didn't like what he said. They got on the phones, they got on Facebook, they got on Twitter, they got on Instagram and they looked up every horrible thing about this person, looked up every bad thing, racist comment, ungood or not good comments, all this stuff and literally went on board lighting fire after fire after fire until what? We want his job. We want his job until you lose your job, you lose your family and everything. Is it right that people say things wrong? No, it's not right that people say sinful and horrible and wrong things, racist and, racist and bigoted things. It's not right to do that, but people should be punished for that. <clears throat> but I'm talking about a culture today to where punishment is not enough. Asking forgiveness is not enough. No, we want to take everything you have. And you say, Brother Steve, that is exactly what the world does today. Even in 2020, who did we lose? In 2020, we lost Dr. Seuss and Pepe Le Pew all in the same week. Pepe Le Pew? What did he do wrong? 
We lose all this stuff. Why? Because we are a council culture. They go and search personal files. They bring up every bit of dirt, and they are not satisfied until it is destroyed, until we're running around burning the books and dancing like wild Indians, and then that is what appeases our justice. And what we're removing is, is for the opportunity for people to adjust and repent of their wrongdoings and to sincerely say that they're sorry and then to show and to prove that, no, what we'd rather do is just go boot mark you off. And you say, Brother Steve, I would never do that. Yes, you did. You did it in your yearbook. 1989, 1991. You and your girlfriend break up. That's what they did. That's what they did in my day. Council culture back in my day, you grew and your girlfriend broke up. They went in there with a pen and just scratched all over her face. First, you drew a mustache and a goatee. Then you scratched them all out. And you look in your yearbook now and you go, who was that right there? That's a girl I dated. And that's a girl I dated. And that's a girl I dated. And that's a girl I dated. Well, what did they look like? I can't remember. Because culturally, you want it done. You want it out of here. And I'm telling you, telling you it did not start in 2020 or in 2009 when that reporter got in trouble it didn't start then it started in this babylonian idea babylon is from genesis chapter 10 verse number 10 to revelation chapter number 18 it is the spirit of satan all through the world it is a governmental super spiritual kind of thing it's a self-satisfaction of satan that comes up and it is still creeping around even today and before we get on board and blow everybody away with their council culture i have literally seen pastor after pastor and people who say they're christian after christian that also get on board and i've read comments like this it's good that they got rid of this person and fired this pos christians pos stands for peace of and you can figure the other one out christians we want to get rid of everybody and people go well i'm a christian can you be a christian in profession only or are you a christian in possession it's true. Your faith's going to be tested. It's going to be put to the fire. And when they put you to the fire, they are going to want to destroy you. They take the pastors. And David, the articles that they write about the pastor and the thing that they did is very true sometimes. But they elaborate so much to where they'd want nothing but destruction. How many of you remember years ago that a young white man walked into a mostly black congregational church, I believe it was in South Carolina, and he killed people? And that's all we saw. And in the reports, it was how bad, how horrible, how bad. But if you didn't get a chance to see that family as they spoke to that young man through the television while he was in prison and being judged, then you missed the grace of God. Because I watched church member after church member of that church and that family go up to that window of that picture and that camera and tell that man, we are praying for you and we forgive you. How can you do that? Because they possessed something and didn't just profess it. They had it in here, and it come out. And as the old preacher said, what's in the well, the bucket brings up. And if it ain't in there, it ain't going to come out. Adrian Rogers says this, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. So that brings us to the second thing. Faith must be trusted. This is the hardest one. This is the most difficult one right here. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Look, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to uh, answer thee in this matter. What they're saying is, is this right here. The decision to be faithful and not compromise came before the pressures ever actually, actually happened to them. They already made it up in their mind, Brother Ron, that they were going to serve God no matter what. They had already made it up. They, you can't wait till what we call the moment of truth or the moment of decision to make up your mind because now your body and emotions are involved. No, you got to make up your mind now that I'm going to serve God. Even Jesus says, do not, when they, they shall deliver you up before people. They will beat you. They will kill you. They will stone you. He said, and they will give you opportunity to speak. And he says, and in that day, do not give thought to what you shall speak. For in that day, I shall speak through you. 
the Holy Spirit of God would move through them. Brother David, they already made it up in their mind that they weren't going to worship this thing. And that's why they told the king, King, we're, we're not just kind of flippantly answering you in this. <laughs> we're not careful in this, answer you in this matter. We're not going to repeat ourselves. We're, not, we're just not going to worship. And look at what happened. It says in verse number 17, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Boy, that's a good verse right there. That's a good verse. You know what would make that verse even better? Don't think I'm changing the word, by the way. But you know what would make that word even better? If the front part, Brother Lee, if it be so, wasn't there. If it just started out and said, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from the hand of the king, uh, thine hand, O king. That'd be a good verse. That'd be even a good life verse. But it starts out by saying, if it be so. Real faith is not an if kind of faith, right? I mean, we would, that's what we say in the modern church, Brother Bill. Real faith doesn't have ifs and buts in it. No, it's we know it for sure. We ain't going to, right? But this scripture says, if it be so, we know that God's able to deliver us. Look at the next verse in verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Wait a minute. True faith says, we ain't doing it. And this is what Christians do today. I, I, we see it all the time in the church. People get mad, want to make some, some picketing signs and, and get mad about what's going on in the world and the government and get so fired up and, and they want to go out in the world on a bullhorn and march up and down the streets and tell everybody in Congress why they're wrong and the government's wrong and this is wrong and the church is wrong and everything's wrong, you know. And they're so mad about everything and stuff and they're real adamant about, no, we know, we know, we know. These boys right here, these young men, if it was 15 or 16 when they were brought in captivity, if it was the second year in Daniel chapter number 2, they're about 17 years old or 18 years old. If it's been 20 years that have passed now, they're like almost 40. These guys right here said, if it's so, if you're going to throw us in the fire, we know God's able to deliver us out of the fire and out of your hand. And then they said these words. But if not, some of you think, well, that's not real good faith. It is. See, real faith, listen to me, you can write it down. Real faith knows God's power. But real faith doesn't always know God's plans and purposes. Real faith understands that God is able to deliver. But total faith says, I don't know your plan or your purpose. My friend passed away this year. A couple of my friends passed away this year. But my friend, Brother Reggie, passed away this year. The last times that I got to really speak with Brother Reggie and we got to have some good conversations, he said, Brother Steve, you know, his life verse was uh, Psalms uh, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. You know, trust in the Lord with all of them, you know, lean not on your own understanding, all your ways acknowledge him and you'll direct your paths. But at the end of his life, he said, I'm hanging on to Daniel chapter 3. And I was like, there's not really many life verses in Daniel chapter 3. I mean, I know the book. I know it by heart and know which, what goes on in each chapter. So Daniel chapter 3 is the fiery furnace. But for years, Brother Reggie and I prayed about his heart condition. <clears throat> Brother Reggie had a condition where his heart was only working when he actually uh, passed. It was 23%. Brother Reggie struggled year after year of being a deacon. He would say, I don't know if my body's able to do it and all these things. And every year he did it. And every year he did it. I've been here for 20 years. And for 20 years, Brother Reggie had a heart condition and always battled with it and struggled with it. And he said, I'm at Daniel chapter 3 right now. And I said, what is it? He said, I'm like those boys. They told the king, if it be so, God has the power to heal me. But if not, I'm okay. And I started crying. I was like, Brother Reggie, it's the first time ever he had peace in that. He, he said that the last time I got to be with him, he said that to me. He says, Daniel 3, ain't it? And he said, absolutely. You know what he's saying? He's saying the same thing Paul said. You know what Paul said? Paul said, if I live, it's Christ. But to die is gain. Now let me break that down in pole barn terminology. He says, if I live, I got Jesus. If I die, I got more Jesus. He said, if I die, I gain. He said, I got more Jesus. So if, if I live, I'm good. And if I die, I'm good. And if you choose to kill me, you'll just push me into the arms of Jesus. 
That's what he was saying. That's why Paul said, I have found that whatsoever state that I'm in, therewith to be content. He said, I'm content because Christ makes me content, not because of possessions that I have. And so faith has got to be trusted. He said, we will believe. This is not weak faith. It's total faith. And then look what happens. And this is what you got to know. Remember this. Then look at what happens. Have you ever had your mom and your daddy get on to you before and you're telling them what you did? Maybe you lied to them. Lee, we'll, we'll talk about this and nobody else in here. They're not as bad as we were. But you lied about it the whole time. And then when you finally told the truth, the, as the King James Bible said, the countenance on their face fell. You ever had your mom and daddy's countenance fall? Their facial expressions change? Huh? Have anybody ever ticked anybody off before and seen them get mad? Some of you husbands have to know what I'm talking about. The face changes. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed. <laughs> he was so mad that his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded that the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound, look at this, in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their garments and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. They wrapped them up in all the kindling that they could find to burn them up, literally. And it says that they were cast in. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. <clears throat> How would you not be scratching and crawling to get away? That's what most Christians today would do. We shouldn't suffer. I've been a Christian all my life. Why is God doing this to me? I've been saved and I give to him and I do everything for him. Why am I going through this? It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. But they didn't. They said, we know God's able to deliver us. And if he doesn't deliver us, we know God's able to receive us. So either way, Nebby, we're not bowing down. We're not going to bow. Nebuchadnezzar was enraged and he changed his facial expression, heated up seven times hotter, wrapped them up in the most clothes that they could get, threw them in the fire. It killed those people that threw them in the fire. The Bible says that when you look at that, you can see all of this anger, but you see these boys or these men, men willing to give their life. Do you know that there was a time in Christianity that revelation was actually true? In the book of Revelation, it says that they love not their lives even unto the death. There was a time that Christians, it didn't matter to them. They had to minister. They had to share the hope, the word of God. This past year, that came true in my life. I had to make a decision whether to go and help and minister to a family that I love very much. That person passed away from COVID and go in there and hug on everybody or not. And I just figured it like this. If God says he's going to take care of us with even poison or strong drink, God's going to take care of me either way. And if I go out, I'm going out swinging for the fence. Nate Saint said it like this. Nate Saint was a missionary to the Akua Indians, the Wyadani Indians. And he said these words. He says, the way I see it, we ought to be willing to die. In the military, we were taught that to obtain our objectives, we had to be willing to be expendable. Missionaries must face that same expendability. A missionary to Burma in Southeast Asia, his name was Adoniram Judson. Many of you would know this guy because of Judson University that's in Illinois, uh, named after him. He said these words. Some of us don't know him. Some of us know probably Judson University or Judson College that's here in Alabama. Well, it's named after his wife, Ann. <clears throat> Judson, uh, excuse me, Mr. Judson said this. How great are my obligations to spend and to be spent for Christ? What a privilege to be allowed to serve him and to suffer for him. But in myself, I am absolute nothingness. Look at these words. Man, these are strong. Soon we shall be in heaven. Oh, let us live as we then shall wish we had done. Let us live now as we wish we would have done when we're in heaven. There's a guy in this book 
<clears throat> his name is James Janway. His daddy's name was William Janway. James Janway and them lived in the 1600s. In 1666, they endured in London what was called the second pandemic or the second wave of the Black Plague, the bubonic plague. Thousands, Brother Jerome, were killed. They, they actually brought carts in with bells on them, and as the bells would ring, the takers or the undertakers would holler out to the people in the homes, bring out your dead, and they would bring bodies upon bodies and put them out there. James Janway, during that time, he said, we must serve God. We must serve God. How can I serve God? And so he sat. He brought children into an orphanage, orphanage building, but into a home. They were dying. And he sat down with them, and he recorded their last words. And he wrote a book about the faithfulness of God in the words of children. Because, see, in those days, it wasn't a pain medication given or anything like that, a sedative that put, placed them asleep. But people would cry out. There were people that were lost that would cry out, talking about that they were burning and chains and other things. But people that were going to heaven, that they would cry out and they would say things. Even some of you in this church probably remember sitting with your grandparents or great-grandparents before the days of that, and they could hear them. And you would say, man, that man went through some tough times. Yeah, but in 1667, the very next year, was the Great Fire of London. It broke out in a bakery, and it burnt down 13,000 homes. People were just devastated. And this guy's walking through all of this mess. And to add misery on top of that, he had 11 brothers who all died before the age of 40 with tuberculosis. His youngest brother died at 24 years of age, only preaching two messages. <clears throat> two messages the whole time. Now his daddy's laying on his deathbed. And Sister Tracy, he wants to go in there and speak to his daddy, and he wants to hear some hope from his daddy. He wants to sit by that bedside, Jack, and hear some of those things he heard those children say as they were passing. <clears throat> and his daddy was miserable. And he said, son, this death is a solemn thing. It's a lonely thing. He said, it's grieving me. He said, I feel torn apart from God. I feel like all the things that I've preached, I can't find them right now. He said, son, go home. Get on your knees and pray. Pray that God would give me victory. Pray that God would speak to my soul one time before I cross over. And people don't talk like that anymore. I mean, that's why it's important to read, to have education, to go and read these books, because people don't talk like that anymore. The very next day, he heard from the outside of the home as he was coming up, and there was just shouting and jubilation and crying that was going on. And they, he didn't know if it was that his daddy had already passed. And when he walked in, this is what his dad said. Oh, son, now it has come. It has come, it has come. I bless God that I can die. The Spirit of God hath witnessed with my spirit that I am his child. Now I can look upon my God as my dear Father and Christ as my Redeemer. I can now say this is my friend and this is my beloved. My heart is full, it is brimful, I can hold no more. I know now what that sentence means, the peace of God which passeth understanding. I know now what that white stone is, whereon a new name is written, which none know but they who have it. And that fit of weeping which you saw me and which you heard of me, it was a fit of overpowering love and joy so great that I could not for my heart contain myself. Neither can I express what glorious discoveries God has given or made himself unto me. And had that joy been any greater, I question whether I could have borne it and whether it would have not separated my soul from my body. He said, if it would have been any better, I'd have bust. I mean, that's pole barn teaching. I would have bust. He said, son, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. That he hath pardoned all my sins and sealed that pardon. He hath healed my wounds and caused the bones which he hath broken to rejoice. Oh, help me, son, to bless the name of the Lord. He hath put a new song in my mouth. Oh, bless the Lord for his infinite goodness and mercy. Oh, now I can die. It is nothing I bless God that I can die because I desire to be dissolved and to be with Christ. No one talks like that anymore. No one speaks like that anymore. Is it because we only profess and not possess? Or is it because when our faith is tested that we don't trust it like we should? Faith is easy in here. Brandon's going to come and 
sing a verse of invitation. It's going to be that same song that we sung earlier. And you're going to sit there and you're going to sing it. You're going to stand and sing it. There's none like you. But can you say that when you're standing beside the casket of somebody that you really, really love? Can you sing that song when you're in the hospital room and you get a diagnosis from a doctor that you never thought you would ever, ever receive? Can you sing that song when you and your friend are standing on the side of the road in the pouring rain looking at a mangled up piece of car where two young boys are inside of it and they no longer have life? Can you? See, your faith is going to be tested. It's going to be put to the fire. But faith, last of all, will be proved tangible. So what does that mean? And I tried to put it in words so that you remember. It will be tested. It's got to be trusted. But eventually, it will be tangible. So what does tangible mean? Tangible means sight, made sight or made real, or something that can be touched, smelt, or felt of. You say, man, what do you mean? Listen to these last words. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. And he rose up speedily in haste. And he spake unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire. And they, nothing's wrong with them. They have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And actually in the translation, what I want to show you today is as a son of the gods. I want to show you this. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. And then they came out of the midst of the fire. Look at this. This is the good part. And the princes and the governors and the captains and the king counselors being gathered together saw these men. You notice the sheriffs wasn't there. Might have been because they burned up throwing them in the fire. But the sheriffs ain't there. But all these people were there. And it says, and they saw these men. Faith became tangible. It became sight upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor a head of their hair was singed. Can you see them walking over there going, I mean, their hair ain't even burnt. They look at me and go, well, <laughs> right? Their hair's not burnt. Listen, can you see these people going up to him going, and they smell like smoke. Everybody around the fire had to smell like smoke, but they that were in it didn't even smell like smoke. The Bible says the smoke, the fire uh, had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, look here again. He says, a profession. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel. Notice those words, sent his angel. And delivered his servants that trusteth in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, because they're good at making laws, no different than our government, that every people, nation, and language which shall speak anything amiss of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look at what he does. We're going to cut you in pieces, and we're going to burn down your house and put the ashes on the dunghill by the pole barn because there is no other God that can deliver after this sword. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon, and we never hear about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego again. Nebuchadnezzar praised the name of God. If you think about this, Daniel chapter number 1, verse number 1, all the way to Daniel chapter number 2, verse number 2, is written in the Hebrew language. Daniel chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 5, all the way to Daniel chapter number 7, to the end of that, is written in Aramaic, the language of the Babylonian or the Chaldean people. In chapter number 8 of Daniel... To finish the book to chapter 12, we go back to Hebrew. And you think, why would you do that? That's kind of confusing. It's exactly what I think. But from Daniel chapter number 2, verse 5, all the way to chapter 7, he's dealing with Gentile nations and empires that will rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. And these words are spoken by a pagan, idol-worshiping Gentile king. When he looked in the fire, he did not know that it was Jesus. He did not know that it was the very Son of God. And in their Aramaic language, he said, it looks like the Son of the gods. Because he didn't worship one god. He was a polytheist that worshiped many gods. And then he even tried to call him an angel. And there are people today in the Christian world that think Jesus is an angel and that he's the brother of Satan. And all. It's crazy. 
This is a pagan, lost king declaring something. You say, Brother C, what do you mean? <clears throat> Even Pilate, Pilate said this statement about Jesus. He said, get aboard a plaque and ride upon it. The king of the Jews put it in all the languages so that everybody knows he's the king of the Jews. Remember what the chief priest said? They said, don't put that. Put this. He said he's the king of the Jews. You know what Pilate said? What I've written. I've written. Right? He, well, I, it's, it's wrote now. What I wrote, it's wrote. It's written. Right? It's done. He didn't know he was professing that Jesus actually was the king of all the Jews. Because he was a pagan. He couldn't see it clearly. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could trust God with their faith. And they saw it clear. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. Being convicted about your sins doesn't mean you're converted to a believer. Feeling sorry for what you've done is not salvation. It's not. But feeling sorrow in a godly sorrow of repentance toward belief in Jesus Christ, that is salvation. If you come today and say, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've done, but yet, yet, you continue to stay away from him and to go away from him, is that profession an actual possession inside? Will you sin? Yes, you're going to sin. Lee, we'll sin. Kathy, we will sin. But we won't lay in a hog pen when we know we got a bed at the master's house. We won't wall around with the pigs when we can know we can dine from the table of the king. Listen, faith comes from truth. It comes from the truth. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't see it. I close with this. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't see it clearly. <clears throat> but he saw enough that his life, Sister Kathy, could have been forever changed. He could have been known as not crazy Nebi, who brought many nations down a road of destruction, but he could have been known as the Babylonian king who knelt down and gave his life to the God of all gods, and the world was changed. But just because he was convicted, it didn't mean anything. Let me tell you something. Nebuchadnezzar said, whoever doesn't give honor and respect to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego goes, God, we're going to cut you in pieces, burn your house down. You can't pass a law to make people right. You can't. We have laws on the books today that say that you cannot take your gun out and shoot somebody in the chest and kill them. But is that stopping people from taking their guns out and shooting people in the chest and killing them? No, because the law doesn't bring righteousness. Uh-uh. No, not at all. Jesus and a change brings righteousness. They knew it. They knew that God was God alone before they ever, ever stoked the fires. Daniel or Deuteronomy says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Paul knew it too. Listen to what he says. Go to verse number 18 of that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. He says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory and forever and ever. Amen. And I know it also. I wrote this. Church, as a Christian, we should be more concerned about glorifying God than rather than winning a political war of laws and bills. God is and will always be greater than any government and all government. It is either God is God. It is either Jesus is Jesus. It is either this Bible is the truth or it's not. It's that simple. And your choice will not affect mine. Your choice of what you want to do won't affect mine. We live in perilous times. In Littleton, Colorado, a young girl by the name of Rachel at Columbine High School was asked before her murderer put a bullet in her head, her head, if she still believed in her God. Her faith was tested. And you may say she lost the battle. Well, I say, nope. She knew God was able to deliver her because of his power. But she wanted to touch the whole world. Even her mom found out in all of her journal notes what she wanted to do for God. And she, wanted, she said she wanted to reach millions. Wrote it on the back of something. I think it was her dresser. That she wanted to reach millions of people. And that these hands will touch millions of lives. Do you know how many people have come to Christ because of the story of this lady that in the time of testing her faith, 
She didn't back down. She's in the presence of Jesus. Perilous times are here. And I suggest this. You unsew that fake seatbelt you got and buckle up. You need to put your seatbelt on and buckle up because the road's going to get bumpy. For all of us that are older and all of us that are younger, it's going to get more difficult in the days that we live to stand upon the Word of God. Are you willing to be arrested? Are you willing to sing the songs by caskets by the side of the road? Can you say, there's none like you, God, and I know it. Now, don't get me wrong. Standing on the side of the road looking at a mangled piece of metal, you may not sing it out with a smile and with hands lifted. You may be singing it with tears flowing off of your cheeks. But is he God enough to say, like Job, though he slay me, 